Pan Am Stratocruiser is on its last leg from Hawaii to San Francisco, but they never make it. What caused this flight to need to ditch in the Pacific Ocean? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. Oh, hey. <laughs> Happy, happy Merry Christmas. Happy Merry Christmas. It's already way past for you. Yeah. But we're doing this on Merry, Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Chrysler. Happy Chrysler. <laughs> we're it's Christmas. We are struggle bussing real hard today. Yeah, that is what it is. I love that TikTok so much. I know. So much. Wow. We got a new two data patron. Wow. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Andy. And welcome. And welcome back. Uh... Do all the normal stuff. Yep. Hopefully, by now, you should have gotten a newsletter. Yeah. As we record this, I haven't touched it yet. Oh, God. So. <laughs> you still got but a week. But I got a week. You still got a week. You're all right. So. It's all right. Hopefully. And a week of break. You've gotten it. Yes. And if you haven't, um, it should be on the website. And if it's not, someone email me and uh, be like, Yell at me. what's wrong with you? Why is this not done yet? There. Christy's going on a trip with her family. Fam bam. Yes. And well, while they're gone on their trip, I will be working. In our favorite rocket ship. Yes. Good for you. I will be working and then being at home with the pup and the cats. Not that any of you guys will be able to stalk me now because it'll be after the fact, but I think I'm going to be on the Norwegian Pearl. Something like that. I don't know. I really Haven't we know. been on the Pearl before? No. no. No, we've been on the. We've been on the sun. No, were no. we on the sun? We were supposed to be on the sun. That's right, because we, we were supposed to be. We were supposed to go to Alaska. Yeah, we did not take the sun. We took multiple times. We've taken the 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 other one, the one that's like the sun. The jewel. No. Yes, we've been on the jewel. We've been on the jewel. I'm going to and murder their we've, website. We've been on the breakaway. Um, mm-hmm. what was the third one? The one that we took when we were in Europe. I don't know. <gasps> I don't remember what one we were on for Europe. <laughs> That's the it one was, I can't think of because we went not, on the jewel for the Bahamas, right. the breakaway for the eleven day. What was it, the one in? <laughs> it was not the sun. It has another S name. I don't know if it's star. If it's yes, star, it was, was the it star? star. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. One, and I'm pretty sure that that's the one that we also took the first time we did this. No, it was thing. the jewel. Was that the jewel? We were on okay. the jewel. I don't remember. Anyways, we're really. Good I'm at like ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure. Well, I guess all to my point. If you need to come over and body double some evening to do the newsletter, I will be making and dinner edit. and hanging out with the dog and the cat and editing and editing and and, and 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 trying to figure out situations with patron stuff. So yeah, so yeah, and we'll figure it all out. Yeah, if you need to come over body double and get stuff done, we'll I'll be hanging out. We can watch car crash videos. Yes. And we've had some people order ducks, so we've got oh god, ducks more to do. <laughs> yeah, we we have ducks pre-made. All we need to do is package and ship. That's that's it. the problem is the packaging and, and shipping, the shipping part. That's the hard part. <laughs> so here comes the disclaimer of um, be patient because uh, Paige isn't working for us right now, and so we have to do everything. Which means, like, for right now, I'm doing a lot of stuff, and I can't do everything. So, Because no. you're on break, but then as we kind of pick up from your it break. It should also be a break. We will, yes, it's also your break, so we'll we'll, we'll help Take out. We're gonna break. We'll, we'll, we'll help out. We're going to get things done. Yeah, so. Everything in time. Just be, be, be nice, please. Uh, yes. We're, we're trying. We're working. We're trying. Okay? Yes, indeedy. Okay. So, what are we covering today, Nick? Today. We are covering Pan Am Flight 6. Thank you to Kevin for recommending this. Thanks, Thanks Kevin. Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Um, we've been like beating around this one for a while. Oh, someone else recommended this recently. It is in our inbox. Thank you to that person. Yes. Um, Hold on. I'll look for it while you start. Yeah. So to preface a little bit, we've been beating around this one not because we couldn't do it. Actually, it's just been on our list as normal when it came up as a recommendation. But we've actually talked about this one before without ever having actually covered it because it has so many similarities <laughs> oh. to other incidents we've talked about even very recently. Thanks to Leo. 
Yes, thanks, Leo. He's the one also. who recommended this also. I'm yes. like, I know, I saw yeah. it. <laughs> so, it's, and this one, the reason, like, I know we've been beating around this one, too, in particular, is because on another one of the ones that we covered a while ago. It keeps coming up in the sea also. Yes, it co- keeps coming up in the sea also. And in that one, I remember seeing the pictures of this one and going, wow, that's really dramatic. Is that on our schedule? And yes, just much later. So it's finally here. It's not going to be a very long episode because there's actually not a whole lot to cover here. But it is still valid because it ties into so many other accidents we've talked about for some very weirdly similar. I shouldn't say weirdly. It has to do with the airplane and the airline. That's pretty much it. This accident occurred on October 16th of 1956. So it is pretty old it's old but not that old it happened a year and a half after pan am flight 845 slash 26 that we covered three weeks ago yes just three weeks ago and the other similarity it has with that is also a pan am boeing 377 stratocruiser 337 no oh seven seven we wrote it wrong on our schedule okay well oh stratocruiser yeah also, um, there's a few people who've called this out, and I thought we did in the episode, and I, I I don't remember, but you are correct. The bonus episode that we covered was not a strato cruiser. We corrected ourselves later. I was yes. pretty sure we corrected ourselves in the episode, but yes. I haven't listened to that one, and that one was edited by Paige. So yes, we did correct ourselves later. Okay, uh, well I know I remember, we did. I just don't I know if it was that. left in or not. Yes, but yes, you're correct. It it was a three fourteen, not a three seven seven. Yes. Just want we to did, point that out. We did correct ourselves. Anyways. So this was a Strato Cruiser with the tail number November 90943. And the similarities don't stop there. <laughs> we will talk about it. This one was quite the flight. Holy crap. This was one big flight. I can't figure out whether it started in Philadelphia or New York. The Report claims it started in Philadelphia. The rip, the the Wikipedia page and other sources claim it started in New York. It started somewhere in the Northeast. In the Northeast. That's all we know about. Anyways. And then it went to London Heathrow, to Frankfurt, to Beirut, to Karachi, to Rangoon, to Bangkok, to Hong Kong, to Honolulu, to San Francisco. It was an around-the-world flight that they do as a regularly scheduled flight. Oh, we talked about this one. Covering this one. Yeah. Like I said, we've been beating around this one for a while. It's not like it's anything really big in particular, but it is still, it was actually, it was a big deal. We'll talk about why at the end of the story. The captain for this flight was Richard Ogg. He was 43 years old. At the time of the accident, he had 13,089 hours, of which 738 were on the Boeing 377. So quite a bit of hours overall. Not a whole lot of hours on the type, but less than a thousand, but still quite a bit. I mean... First officer was George Hacker, H-A-A-K-E-R. Hacker. Hacker. (laughs) I don't know. Anyways, he was 40 years old. At the time, he had a total of 7,576 hours, of which 3,674 were on the 377, which is significantly more than the captain. By literally a lot. By literally a lot. 700. 38? What was it? 738 versus 3,674? That's a big difference. The flight engineer was Frank Garcia Jr. He was 30 years old. At the time, he had 1,728 hours on the 377. As is typical with the flight engineers, we don't have any like total hours, although that does happen sometimes. But a lot of times, it's kind of the same. And then there was a navigator. Hmm. The navigator, the navigator was Richard Brown, so there was two Richards in the cockpit, captain and the navigator. He was 31 years old. At the time, he had 1,283 hours, of which 446 were on the Boeing 377. Ah, low time. They don't have to be type-rated to be a navigator, right? Uh, probably. Oh, okay. Different equipment. Still different equipment. So, yeah, it probably was still type-rated. So, we're talking about the very, very, very last leg. Okay. Of this journey. The Honolulu to San Francisco. It's like, yeah, it has Hawaii, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So up until Honolulu, everything was totally normal. The flights were status quo, nothing to mention. Not one thing. They say all legs to Honolulu were normal. Great. 
and then it became on the podcast. Yes. So, therefore, not normal. The last leg was to have 24 passengers and seven crew to San Francisco. Not a whole lot, but we're talking about, you know, 1950s era, large quad prop piston engine airplanes where it was very luxurious travel for not very many people that could afford it. And that's what it was. We weren't quite to mass travel yet, although we were getting there with, with jet the jet age coming very rapidly at this point. The flight was planned for eight hours and 54 minutes on an instrument flight rule flight plan that had the flight initially climb to 13,000 feet and then climb to 21,000 feet later in the cruise for the rest of the flight to San Francisco. Yes, it's pressurized. We've talked about it before. It's also a double deck where it has like a lounge on the lower deck. All those things. What kind of airplane? Oh, it was Strato Cruiser. Yeah, Strato Cruiser. It's the one with like... all. It's the one, the one, the bubbly one with all the windows. Yeah, in the yeah, front. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And the lower deck lounge, and usually, like they might even have a, a lounge even at the rear. Sometimes. It was made by Boeing Company, right? Yep, correct. This is a Boeing. Okay. This is a Boeing. 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 It did not go Boeing. No. If it's on this podcast, it definitely didn't go Boeing. No. Oh, there are sometimes they go Boeing. This one didn't go Boeing. <laughs> The flight departed Honolulu at 8.26 p.m. local time. All of the rest of the times in the report, and I didn't even try to figure out any kind of calculations because we'll talk about it, but they were in the middle of nowhere. All the rest of the times are also in Hawaii time, in the time zone of Hawaii. So more than likely where the accident took place, again, we'll talk about it, but was actually on a different time zone. They just didn't change it. Okay. Because it was in the middle of nowhere. Okay. The takeoff, climb, and initial crews were normal. 1.02 a.m., about midway through the flight, the crew made a request to the air traffic controller to make a VFR, visual flight rule, climb to their secondary altitude, to which the air traffic controller approved, so up to 21,000 feet. Mm-hmm. As the flight reached their second al- cruising altitude of 21,000 feet, they suddenly encountered an issue with the number one engine. I was going to say, what kind of issue? An uh, issue. An engine issue. Uh, yeah. The first officer had noticed some vibrations on the controls during the reduction to cruise power as they leveled off at 21,000 feet. The flight engineer then, having noticed that the number one engine having been basically useless, uh, then activated the fire switch. The flight engineer, I should say. Was there a reason? Um, they noticed on their tachometer. It pegged. In other words, the RPM for the number one engine had gone all the way around the dial and was way too high. They estimate about 2,900 RPM. So they thought it was on fire? Uh, It's going really f***ing fast. The intention of this is to prevent any fire that could be occurring. Okay. And also to hopefully maybe slow the engine down or stop it. Oh, okay. Flight engineer. Smother it. Yes. Right. Got it. Got it. Got right. it. Got it. So like, he, oh my God, it's going to fly off. Right. So the flight engineer activated the fire switch as well as reduced the throttle for the number one engine and closed to the closed position as well as cut off the mixture, which is the fuel mixture, adding fuel to the engine. So all of that was in a hope to stop the engine, shut it off. And it didn't, by the way. It continued going at very rapid speed. Don't like that. No. No. The crew immediately reduced the airspeed by reducing power to the other three engines and adding flaps so as to literally just slow the airplane down to hopefully... The the intention of this is to stop the airflow from going through the propeller to naturally reduce... Yeah, to create drag. Basically, yes, so that it's not windmilling at really high rates of speed. Because then it will create drag. Right. The crew attempted to feather the number one propeller, so changing the pitch of the propeller blades in order to also get it to stop spinning at very rapid rates of speed. Well, it would keep spinning, but it just wouldn't be producing thrust. Right. And there would no longer be that strong of an asymmetry. Correct. As well as just stop it from hopefully spinning quite as fast. The attempts failed, however, to do so. And the crew seemingly had no control over the number one engine at all. It was just doing its own thing. Just Oh, that's great. Spinning like crazy. The captain made the decision to shut down the engine by cutting off the oil supply because that was something you could do with these massive piston engine aircraft that required literally many gallons of oil per flight. Yeah. Like they did fuel because, you know. (laughs) This. This was not very efficient. Cutting off oil is a very good idea. Yes, it actually did (laughs) 
work. I mean, anybody who knows anything about Pistons engines would probably be screaming at this moment and be like, ah, why would you do that? That can ruin the engine. Yes, but also the engine's <laughs> not doing any favors for itself. So why not just seize it? That's literally what they did. By stopping the flow of oil into the engines, you make the pistons literally just grind to a halt. This is also why you should keep up with the oil in your car so that you don't make the engine seize. Right, because when you do that on your car, you're typically going to have to replace the engine. FBI. Yeah, that's why you shouldn't wait till the oil light comes on to change your oil. Correct. Because yeah. at that point, you're at a critically low <laughs> stage where the the sensor in your car is like, yo. Hey. And don't just, <laughs> yo, don't just add oil. oil. You have to change the oil. Yes, because the old oil is still going to be nasty, gross, and clumpy. You need good, clean oil. Yes. Same goes for airplanes. Yes. So no, no oil, no engine. Right. And that's what they did. And it worked. It worked. <laughs> Question. Yes. I probably don't have the answer to this, but did they have oil lights? Yes. Oh, I'm sure. That would also be part of the oil pressure. Yes. Once upon a time, we were plane spotting, and a Cessna 172 reported an emergency because their oil pressure tanked, and they're like, our engine's going to die any minute. So we all watched as the world watched as they landed. Yep. Yeah, they landed fine. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. But that's why it's such a freak out, because... When that engine seizes, suddenly the propeller stops spinning, usually. And you just become a paperweight. Yes. Yeah, a floating paperweight. Yes, that too. You glide. Unless you're on approach. You can still glide. You You just got to make sure you have got (laughs) enough... You don't have too much drag. Right. (laughs) And then you become an actual paperweight and just die. Yeah. So, anyway. Anyway. Immediately after cutting off the oil supply, the RPM briefly decreased, and then suddenly there was a heavy thud, and that was the engine literally just what? hard stop. <laughs> hard stop. And the RPM basically dropped immediately. Now, that RPM reads the RPM on the pistons. Yes. They did have a separate one, a separate tachometer for the propeller. However, the propeller continued to windmill. Which is now creating drag. Yes. It wasn't windmilling at like super high rates of speed, but this was something that they continued to work on for a long time. (laughs) Actually, they really just wanted it to stop spinning because it was creating drag. The airspeed had slowed to down to 150 knots for an airplane like this isn't really that slow, but it is slow. The aircraft began losing altitude at about a rate of about a thousand feet per minute, which is not great. 122 a.m. The captain then contacted the Coast Guard weather station called November to alert to a possible ditching and asked for assistance. At that time, the captain also alerted the passengers and the cabin crew to the emergency and advised them to prepare for a possible water landing. We'll talk about why that wasn't great. I mean, what, I understand alert them to that. I, I understand why that seems really precautionary, but just wait till later. Why? You'll understand in a minute. Okay. Well, they didn't inflate their life jackets. No, 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 no. But this is one twenty-two in the morning. Remember that. Oh, they were sleeping. Part of the problem, but that's not really the big problem. The flight crew then decided to change course to fly toward the November station. The crew then applied climb power to the remaining three engines, so basically putting them literally all the way to full power. The crew noticed shortly thereafter that the number four engine was only developing partial power. It wasn't really doing a whole lot. 1.25 a.m., the flight crew notified the November station that a ditching was now imminent. It was going to happen. They then received a ditching heading from the station, or the cutter, because it is a boat, by the way. So it's a cutter. Okay. That is the type of boat. But it is a weather station run by the Coast Guard out in the middle of nowhere. It's just a boat that just floats there. Sounds boring. Yes. However, in times like this, quite a useful thing to have out there, actually. This was a wonderful thing for, for them. And just how wonderful, you'll find out shortly. So the cutter basically gave them a heading and said, hey, you're going to ditch near us on this heading. As they descended, the crew found that they could actually maintain altitude at an airspeed of 135 knots with the power that they had on the three engines, which was two working engines and one mm, not great, and at 5,000 feet. So they managed to get down to 5,000 feet, hold that at a really slow speed. Not really slow, but 135 knots. Not that fast. So they were now holding altitude. 1.37 a.m. The flight flew over the November station. So they managed to make it to the station. Flew right over it at 5,000 feet and 135 knots. 
The flight crew by this time had calculated that their ma- what their max range was with the remaining fuel that they had on board and the power setting that they had in order to maintain altitude, and they determined that it was not efficient to make it the 750 nautical miles to San Francisco or the 1,000 nautical miles back to Honolulu, basically. It's a long way to have to go. The cutter fired mortar flares and activated electric water lights to eliminate a ditching track for the airplane. The flight crew, however, decided to delay the ditching until daylight, as they had the fuel required to do so. In the meantime, the aircraft remained close to the cutter in a holding pattern. 2.45 a.m., the number four engine backfired, and then the power dropped off completely from that engine. The flight was still able to maintain altitude, however, and continued to hold and burn fuel while they waited for daylight. 5.40 a.m., the captain notified the USS Pontchartrain that they were preparing to ditch the aircraft. A foam path was laid out on the water surface on a heading of 315 degrees by the cutter. The passengers were then asked to take ditching positions and remove glasses and some shoes as well as any other, like, sharp Mm -hmm. things. 6.15 a.m. Do you remember what time I said they were notified they were going to ditch? Like 1-something a.m.? 1.22 a.m. 1.22 a.m. It is now 6.15 a.m. They had all that time they had to sit there and stress. I could have slept. Some of them did, but actually what we what they stated in the report was that they allowed them to continue smoking and wander about the cabin during the hours no! of which the whole, they were holding. Because, you know, this is the 1950s and we still smoked like crazy on airplanes. And people wandered about the cabin and waited for the imminent hitting of the water. Hate that. Mm-hmm. However, that said... The aircraft touched down, and a series of pictures was taken by a crew member on the cutter, since they managed to touch down right next to the cutter, of this very dramatic ditching. Like, there's, this was one of the first times that we'd ever, like, captured a full-size airliner ditching in the water on camera. It was a series of pictures, black and white pictures. You can see them on the Wikipedia page. They'll be on the website. Yeah. Of the airplane literally just hitting the water, slowing to a stop and hitting the water. The passengers and crew actually managed to evacuate the aircraft safely and boarded life rafts. Now, there's all sorts of details about how that went, and I didn't dive too deep into it, but they did manage to get on life rafts and very quickly get onto the cutter and get out of there. All packs and crew were off and clear of the aircraft by 6.32 a.m., so just a little over 15 minutes after they touched down in the water. Which was great, because the aircraft fuselage had broken apart after the main cabin door, which, mind you, on this airplane is behind the wing, not in front of the wing like we're used to today. The main cabin door was behind the wing, so that means that the very aft, as is normal when you impact with things in a nose-high position. As anticipated, they said in the report. Yes, as anticipated, the tail snapped. The fuselage snapped just before the tail, but aft of the, the main cabin door. So it was taking on water. And it was just three minutes after the last passengers and crew got off that the rest of the airplane sank into deep water. So. And it was never recovered because. It's in the middle of the ocean. Deep. Now, mind you, they had to do this evacuation and actually three to four foot swells. And then in between that, there was like two to three foot swells. And they gave all the details about how far apart, how high, how often, the wind speeds that were causing that. It's really crappy ditching. Yeah, actually, it's pretty horrible. Having to bob up and down so, so much. So the Miracle on the Hudson was not the first. It was the first jet that. aircraft that managed to allow all passengers to survive. Oh. Jet. Not the first airliner. Correct. The Hudson, though, up until the point of the Hudson accident, we believed that it was impossible with a jet aircraft because the speeds had to be so high. Oh, I see. I understand. We had no... I mean, we had this understanding that the aircraft, theoretically... Based on all the numbers, the science, the sciences and the maths, the airplane could withstand a landing and Allegedly. people could survive. However, we had never had an instance where we had to prove it and it worked. Oh, okay. I mean, the 767 off the coast of Africa, you know, and yes, you know, the myriad of others that have had to ditch in water over the years did not go well. They usually ended with at least a few fatalities. Not well, total fatalities, even in like the rivers and lakes in Indonesia, where they have an, an unfortunate number. Yes, they have. <laughs> of ditchings before and after the Hudson. Uh, they never proved to be fully survivable, but the Hudson proved that it was possible. I find that interesting that they wouldn't think 
Is it because the jet aircraft goes too fast? Yes. Yes, because of the speeds. Oh. Because there's such a very, very finite, basically, speed, pitch, and envelope. everything envelope that the aircraft has to maintain in order to actually ditch properly, it is thought to be basically impossible up until the point of the Hudson. And then it was proved that it could be done. Okay. And people could survive. This one, on the other hand, the reason that this one didn't really back up the claims that it could be survivable, yes, everybody survived. However, the aircraft still completely sunk because it still broke. Well, they didn't have the wherewithal or the thought mm-hmm. to have a ditch button and close off all of the you know places that would intake water. Right. Plus, these old airplanes were just really not designed. And they're sus- heavy. Right. To be sustained, like to, to sustain a water landing. They were designed to break apart. They were. They were designed to sink afterward, which is why actually really unfortunately this airplane was never recovered because that was very deep water that they sunk in. The airplane sunk in. So they it was, at the time, just pretty much impossible. Mm. They could not get that airplane out of the water. Never have. Still there. So the airplane, long gone. They didn't have that for the investigation, which really meant that I pulled some of this from the investigation. But the investigation portion was mostly just statements by, of course, the survivors being everyone. Yeah. So there really weren't any injuries, major injuries of note either. So... Ultimately, this was pretty successful for such a dramatic event with all of these pictures and for having to wait for so long. Good for them. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, I cannot imagine having to wait five hours. I would study that safety information card like no (laughs) one's business. I don't know if they have. Hour one, I'd be like, "Okay, we got time. I'm going to go back to sleep. Wake me up when they tell us we need to get off the aircraft. Right. I mean, it would just be I'm sure it was just a lot of stress. I'm sure there was a lot of smoking happening. Unfortunately. So anyways, that's really all I'm covering on this. I'm sure there was a lot of other details that I could have added, but it just a lot of it was just irrelevant. Because and a lot of it was redundant. Really redundant. Let me guess. This was uh, investigated by CAB. Yeah. Good hey, guess. How'd you guess? Weird. It's like, you know what you're talking about. It's like we've done this for 220 Once or, episodes. Once or twice or 220 times. <laughs> Good grief. Okay, so this investigation was performed by the Civil Aeronautics Board, or the CAB, however you want to cab. I don't know. Yeah. And they really didn't have much of anything to work with. This is the age before flight recorders, so no black boxes. And the plane itself is um, at the bottom of the ocean. In the middle of nowhere. I can't stress to you enough. Nothing out there. They are halfway between Hawaii and... And the mainland of the U.S. They are in the middle of nowhere when they ditched. If you tell me they don't actually know what happened to anything, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> okay, well, um, they know what happened, sort of. To the engines? They had, mind you, they had the full crew. <laughs> yes. They had the passengers. And they had five hours worth of time that these crew had like to play around with the airplane and give them all of this detailed information At about that what point, they like, did if you're and didn't the, do. If you're the crew and you're sitting there for five hours, be like, okay, write down everything that happened in my little diary here. And just hand that to investigators and be like, I'm going to bed. Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's sort of what happened. They definitely took their statements. I mean, literally, when I said, by the way, that like the number one engine was then windmilling after they finally got it to shut off, there was a lot of details about why they thought it was windmilling. But the crew had five hours To make it stop windmilling. And it never did, by the way. But they did a lot of work to try to make it stop windmilling. Same with the number four, by the way. So, from this, they were made aware that both the number one and number four engines had... Quit. Issues. Yeah. Now, (laughs) kind of the nice thing about this is actually the number one and number four engines having quit. I know I didn't really talk about this in the story, but that would be the outermost on the left and the outermost on the right. Nice and symmetrical. Which made the airplane actually very symmetrical after that. (laughs) And through a thorough analysis that was summarized and not told in full, thank you for saving my brain, they were able to determine that the two issues were separate and unrelated to one another. Oh, that's... (laughs) Isn't that unfortunate? It's also horrifying, yeah. Yeah. Well, and mind you, that's because they actually presented completely differently. It's very easy to determine when I said that the number one engine, the RPM, was just completely out of control versus the number four engine was just not putting out any power, basically. So let's start with engine number one. Numero uno. From interviews, we know that there was an overspeed issue on engine one, where mm-hmm. it shot up to 2,900 RPM, higher than the t- tachometer can actually read. Mm-hmm. So that's also an estimate. Right. That's as high as they could guess. It went beyond that. 
Engine RPM is maintained by engine oil, with the pressure being changed by the propeller governor, which changes the blade angle to maintain the desired RPM. Feathering is also done using oil pressure, but is done through the auxiliary oil pump controlled by the propeller governor. Investigators determined it is most likely that the inability to feather was caused by the same malfunction that caused the overspeed. Yes. If the auxiliary pump failed, the whole propeller system would have failed, so it probably wasn't that. Which is why they also couldn't feather it, though. The other primary component common to the two actions is the governor, specifically either the governor pilot valve or the oil pressure altogether. In total, we have three options. One, if the governor pilot valve wasn't working properly, it would cause the misdirection of oil and cause an inability to control the engine. Yep. That checks out. Yes, it does. Option number two, contaminated oil within the governor would cause a multitude of faults like these. Yep. Option number three, insufficient oil would likely be due to a leak in the numerous seals, passages, transfer tubes, bearings, etc. could also result in these problems because we don't have the engine itself. We've got these three options and it's one of those. Yep. Investigators believe one of these was the cause for the engine one fault, but were unable to surmise which one or ones were the culprit. Of course, because we don't have the airplane or the engine. After this accident, but prior to this report, the airline experienced two more such issues. The Stratocruiser was just, you know, great. So Mm -hmm. the propeller oil transfer bearing was redesigned, and an airworthiness directive was issued to make its use mandatory. Did it work? We have to assume so. Okay. (laughs) If they changed it, we have to assume that it had some level of working. I mean, pretty soon after this, the jet age came and they stopped using Stratocruisers. So yeah, the Stratocruiser they used the 747 instead. (laughs) Yeah, the Stratocruiser just naturally faded out with the 707, the DC-8, the 727, the 7-4. Hey guys, guess what? I have a paragraph left. Cool. Awesome. It's not a lot more to talk about. Engine number four, lost power seemingly due to a reduction of airflow through the carburetor. The system indicated that oil and fuel pressures were normal, but temperature and fuel flow were low. But the turbo supercharger responses showed that the system was at least partially operating for a while. These symptoms together suggest that there was some kind of obstruction to the system caused by a deformation or partial breakup and displacement of the carburetor inlet air duct system. It's not getting air. Yeah, basically air isn't flowing into the engine because so it's choking. something is yeah something is choking the engine. Whether that be, you know, a piece of the engine literally broke apart and caused that, the carburetor specifically. So there was either the deformation or partial breakup and displacement of the carburetor in the air duct system, or a failure of the engine-driven impeller drive assembly. Such a... Okay. I don't know what these parts are, but investigators deemed the latter to be more probable as it happened to different aircraft with like engines three times prior to this accident. Oh, well, yeah. The Stratocruiser was just great. That's great. Although unable to determine why it happened in this exact circumstance, investigators determined based on the other events that despite them having happened, it was not a chronic issue. Oh, it wasn't? Apparently. they said. And neither redesign nor corrective measures were necessary. Okay. I don't know. That seems questionable to me. It does I disagree. Yeah. With them. But uh, that's what they said. So that's what I'm here to report. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying they're right. No. That's just, that. that's what they wrote. That's what she wrote. That's what she wrote. It's definitely not she, because this is the 50s. That's what he wrote. 100% he. Yeah. So. That's what I got. That's it. That's, that's. The, wow. That's all, all she, that. that's all they wrote. Uh, we do have the normal stuff in the set. Well, two pieces kind of. of the normal in the second half. But yeah, this was dramatic and then anticlimactic. Nothing. Yeah, very in the end, actually. Like, we, yeah, there was some faults with the engines. Anyways, why? Okay, I'm sure you covered this because mm-hmm. I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. But if they had two working engines, mm-hmm. they. And I think you did say something. Mm-hmm. They just were like, yeah, we, we just can't make it to yeah. the mainland. They were only flying at 135 knots. They did their They're calculation. They're in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. They they had a lot of extra fuel, actually. A lot. A lot of extra fuel. A lot. They left for a nine-hour flight with almost 13 hours worth of fuel. So they didn't have enough fuel even with the other? No. The because they're going is, too slow now. Right, they're the, not as efficient. They were traveling less than half the speed the airplane was capable of. So... And they were doing so at a very low altitude because that was the only thing they could maintain. 
And they determined that with the fuel they had, even with all that extra fuel, they were like, mm, 750 miles, too far, too no far. No thanks. Nope. Oh. They would have to ditch even more in the middle of nowhere. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were as far away from land as they could basically possibly get at this point. However, they were next to a Coast Guard ship, <laughs> which was a good thing. So they just stayed there for five hours. Oh, God. Instead. Um, because if they had gone as far as they could toward the mainland, yeah. they wouldn't have made it. And they probably would have had to ditch near nothing. So they were like, at least we're near something. Let's ditch there. When the sun comes up, they had the fuel. They were like, why would we do that in the middle of the dark and risk everybody's lives? When we've got the fuel, we've got the altitude. We've got now, the technology. We might as well just wait until there's daylight. And they did, and thus there were pictures. Interesting. Yep. Okay, well, we will come back after this brief message with the normal stuff. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Okay, we're back. This part's going to take like two minutes, so I'm not really sure how we're going to fill time. I'm not entirely sure what we're going to do, but we do have two of the normal three to talk about. <laughs> And we can, of course, talk about the things that changed. And, of course, we've already talked a little bit about how the industry has had better luck since then. But we'll do the findings first. There are a whopping 10, and these are CIB findings. Hmm. So they're all one short sentence. Each. Thank goodness. And I am going to read them verbatim, even the ones that you know are normally there. They found that the company, the aircraft, and the crew were properly certificated, and the flight was Properly dispatched. When they left, everything was fine. They found that the aircraft was properly loaded with respect to gross weight and center of gravity limits. Yeah, they were halfway through the flight. If that was going to be a problem, it would already it would have been have a problem. Happened, <laughs> it would have happened before that There's point. absolutely no question about that. Uh, not even one. They found that the flight was normal until the control of the number one propeller was lost and the engine oversped. Yep. Which, by the way, as soon as you overspeed a piston engine like that, it's done. Like, you have to remove it from the airplane, usually. Right. So. Yeah, it's done. Like, you you remove it, you deal with it. It's not entirely true. I shouldn't say that. You can go through a, a quick inspection and determine whether or not the airplane is fine by doing basically a large oil change, making sure that there's just no metal shards anywhere. <laughs> but, but typically, especially big piston engines like this, if they overspeed well beyond the tachometer... It's done. It's toast. That engine should come off the airplane. So had they made it to land, that engine gone. Would they have been able to make it if they had three engines? No. Same so, speed problem. So even though they would have had mm -hmm. most of the engines working, they still wouldn't have been able to make it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Yep. They had done that calculation with three engines. And then they lost one. <laughs> and then they did the calculations again and actually determined it still wasn't any better. Because even though they're burning less fuel, theoretically, because they're only on two engines, they're running them at full power. So, and flying very slow. Okay. They found that it was impossible to control the engine speed or to feather the propeller. No, really. You had five hours to try. Yeah, they tried and it never worked. They, they definitely think that something separated because it was literally just free spinning. They found that the engine was frozen. However, the propeller became decoupled from the engine and continued to windmill, which is the big thing. Like, the engine came to a stop, but the propeller kept spinning. The engine was not moving. The windmilling was not causing the engine to move. The propeller was spinning. Mm -hmm. That was totally separate. The propeller was just doing its own thing. It was just causing too much drag. Yeah, it was causing a lot of drag, but, I mean, it was spinning, so it was definitely separated from yes. the engine at that point. Because the engine, they intentionally seized. Right. Which, if it was still coupled, the propeller would have stopped, too. But the propeller spinning separate from the engine means that they definitely separated at some point, which is why the propeller was going out of control. They found that there was a partial power loss on engine number four. It subsequently failed completely, and the propeller was feathered. That engine, at least though. this time the engine stayed on. Yeah. The engine stayed on. The propeller was able to be feathered. Sorry, power package. Yes, the power package. This is the same airplane type with a power package oh thing. Oh, my God. By the uh, way. I adore everyone's comments. <laughs> There's been multiple people that are like, you now have to put that on a shirt. Oh, why? No, not. 
Um, and the only way I would do it is if I had a picture of an engine underneath it, because <laughs> I just don't feel like I want people walking around with our logo and a shirt that says, look at my power package. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be really funny, though. Yeah, but no, I'm not. Sorry, I shouldn't even brought it up. <laughs> don't worry. I'm the one in charge of merch and I'm not doing okay, that. Good. So. <laughs> I'm still mildly concerned. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, people, it's not happening. Okay. Maybe, I don't know, if you wanted to do your own thing, you do your own thing. What I All would the jokes, do? I love the jokes, don't get me wrong. We what? don't even have anti-deuncomplification, okay? I know, which needs to change, and I haven't used that in forever, but... It got Thank brought up because one of... I think it was Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, probably. He was like, did you guys forget about that? And I was like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> we did. Stopped using it, but it's, yeah. They found that the airspeed was restricted to 145 knots to prevent the windmilling propeller from overspilling, overspeeding. Wow, that was... Overspilling, huh? Yes, overspilling, you know. Spilling the tea. Can't can't spill the propeller. That piping hot tea. (laughs) Yeah. The windmilling engine basically, to get it to stop from overspeeding, they had to reduce down to 145 knots, which ultimately went down to 135 to maintain altitude. Yes. And the whole reason for that, too, they wanted to reduce, of course, the RPM, but also they wanted to reduce... The drag because it was causing the airplane to lose altitude. You know, you would think that more speed equals more altitude because normally that's how aviation works. But when you also have more drag associated with that, it doesn't always. Nope. Finding that balance, and they did. They found the balance. That's all they needed. They found that the range of the aircraft was so reduced that it was impossible to reach land. Yes. We knew that. They found that the passengers were thoroughly instructed in correct emergency procedures. And they the air- had five hours. Yeah, and the aircraft was ditched under control with no fatalities, which was the big thing out of this accident, of course, was that there were no fatalities. But yes, they had five hours to make sure that they could do that. They found that the evacuation of the aircraft was well-planned and orderly because they had five, five hours. hours to figure it out. They had actually moved passengers to specific seats to make sure that they were away from the break zone and that they could evacuate, because there were empty seats on the airplane, there were empty seats, and that they could evacuate properly. They had set them up for success. They had the rafts ready to go. They didn't detach from the ceiling like last time. The seats didn't completely break apart like last time. So ultimately, yes, it was a successful ditching, and people survived. Everybody, actually. That's good. And people survived. Oh. (laughs) That's a weird one. That's weird. (laughs) We don't cover that very often. No. But people managed to survive also because they had the time and the resources. So much time. So much time. And you want to know why else? People didn't try to take their with them. Yeah, that's probably a big piece we, of it. We didn't cover that, but I was like, listen, people, if the people in the 50s were like, it's not worth it, you don't need your goddamn shit. Yeah, just leave it behind. Uh, that's all the findings. Oh. That was literally all 10 of them. I read okay. them all. Well, I know it doesn't feel like it, but I did. The board determines that the probable cause of this accident was an initial mechanical failure, which precluded feathering the number one propeller and a subsequent mechanical failure, which resulted in a complete loss of power from the number four engine, the effects of which necessitated a ditching. (laughs) Simple as that. They didn't even actually sum up why they happened, because, again, they couldn't really quite determine why. They just know that both failed for different reasons. Clearly, very different reasons. Completely different symptoms, completely different reasons. Very horribly happened on the same accident. Most likely, though, the number four engine issue was propagated by the fact that they were having to change the power vastly from its normal settings. Yep. In order to try to maintain altitude. And quickly. These engines don't move quickly. No, they don't. So, more than likely, it's not that one didn't cause the other. I'm not saying that at all, but they were different issues. It's not that the number four engine also couldn't have done that on its own a separate time on a different flight. It just happened to be on this one because... It was exacerbated by the fact that they were having to deal with the number one engine. Because fate. So, unfortunate, but at the same time, everybody survived. Yay! Wonderful. And the Strato Cruiser was crap. Yay! <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of Strato Cruisers. They actually relatively successful. Not. I'm not going to say they were vastly successful. They were not. Airplane at the wrong time in history, basically. But when was, was the right time in history? Uh, the jet age and anything after that. Anything built after that was wildly successful. Whether or not they were actually reliable or not is a different situation. The 377 was neither in total. It was okay. Military used it a little bit. Commercial service a little bit. But at the same and time. And now they've been redeveloped into the guppies. 
Right. But they came along, and those ones have turbine engines, which is a whole different situation. Oh, good gravy. Yeah. So they didn't, they were a lot more reliable once they had turbine engines, too. Of course. Of course. Of so course. that's a whole different situation. But also, I mean, the 377 was just out of place. Came about in the 50s. By the end of the 50s, we were starting to do jet age stuff. Yeah. So not much of a point. I mean, don't you? it came around in the late 40s, but it really came to fruition in the 50s where commercial service providers, all the major airlines, started to use them. Yeah. But we also had like the DC-6, which was pretty comparable and honestly probably more reliable. Other big incidents don't really don't get me wrong, but more successful and tended to be a little more reliable than the Stratocruiser. The Stratocruiser was a quirky airplane. Strange. I mean, it was originally made for war. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was a carrying aircraft. And then and they, then they were like, let's change it so we can take people in it. Yeah. They were like, wow, we've built this massive thing that actually could hold With a lot of people With all these windows stuff. out the front. Yeah. It can hold a lot of people and stuff. And it's actually maybe a reasonable airliner. And so they made one as an airliner and a version of it. And it wasn't unsuccessful. It just wasn't wasn't amazing. I mean, it just, when you compare it to today's aircraft, it's mm -hmm. just so inefficient. Yes. So Un inefficient. Undoubtedly. They all were at the time, though. I mean, we're talking about engines with so many pistons and moving parts. How could it not be? How could it be efficient? It is no possible way. The thing just wanted to rip itself apart all the time. I just, it's just one of those things where it's like, you see the history of like where we were to where we are now mm -hmm. and the fact that it took them so long to figure out. Right. Like you don't need to have a piston engine right. <laughs> to run an airplane. Right. You know? It Which, took a lot of advances in technology and that happened. I mean, it's funny because we think about this as like, oh, the elegant age of aviation. And it's not that it wasn't like, yeah, of course, seats were nice and there was lots of like it was it was. Yes, it was for the rich, but it was. A nice thing. They provided service and, you know, people were always dressed really nicely when they traveled. It was a very elegant affair. But at the same time, you're talking about airplanes that literally shot flames and backfired the whole time. Yeah. So <laughs> it was like a really, really bad old car. Yeah. You ever see these things fire up? Oh, my God. It's hilarious. Like, oh, God, get everybody in the airplane and <laughs> flames shooting out black smoke everywhere. Horrifying smells in the cabin, and then the airplane's running, and then big loud noises, and the airplane gets into the sky. Yes, it was so elegant. <laughs> we take 737s for granted so bad. <laughs> like modern 737s. Don't get me wrong, the Max had problems, but oh my god, it's such a nice airplane in reality. It is a really nice airplane. I, I never said it wasn't a nice plane, okay, yeah. Linda? But I'm they just did saying have problems. I'm just saying that it had a lot of issues right. before it was like okay. The unfortunate thing is with new technology comes new problems. Pratt and Whitney. Anyways. Cough, cough, we'll leave that there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we... they're being screamed at by every airline on the planet right now. So Um what else is new? Yeah. Uh, excuse me if I have blacked out the last year of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> have we covered the max crashes? They are on our list. Okay. Yeah. It's coming up then. Yes. March. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember if we covered them last March or if it was this coming up March. No, it's coming I up. I couldn't remember. Dude, this is like... how things go. I know that y'all listen to these sometimes, you know, in continuous fashion in perpetuality and we experience it live yeah it happens uh you know over a long period of time we cover a lot of stuff we have to read all of this stuff talk about it, Ew, it i have to it read. all gets it all gets lost it all gets chucked out of my brain after we're done recording yeah and then we had this uh when we were going to when we went to seattle a few years ago uh to see one of our younger patrons he legit was like do you guys remember when you did this and i was like nope what Not crash was bit. that when did we record that? Yeah, like, not even a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, this is four years of episodes now. Right. I am lost, friendos. You're going to have to give me some more information. I remember back when we were, like, a year in. Like, my memory wasn't really that great. But you guys were like, oh, yeah, this flight. We covered it in such and such date. And we, you know, That's this gone. happened and the flight numbers. And I'm like, no, I don't remember any of that. And now we're four years in. And I'm like, pfft. No, I don't remember if we've covered this at all. Not a clue. I remember it better <laughs> when I've had to edit it because yes. Yes. there are some, don't get me wrong, like the really big ones, of course, we always remember the big ones and we know which ones the really big ones are. We know which ones we've covered that are really big. But there's a lot of them where I'm like, nah, I don't remember. 
If somebody said Pan Am Flight 6 after this, I probably would be like, I don't know. Let me look. Maybe we did. <laughs> Potentially. But like UA-232, of course. Air France 447. Yeah, of course. I remember those. Duh. Duh. <laughs> so I'm adding back to our randomizer, which I haven't done in a while, and I'm in 1985. Yeah. I skipped British Air Tours, Japan Airlines, Delta Airlines. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Anyways. There's not really a lot else to cover. I mean, yes, the things that changed after this, of course, they changed some things about the Stratocruiser. We got the jet age. Changed a lot of things very rapidly. And ditching changed a lot, too, because the airplanes changed. So, obviously, we already had that discussion in the first half. But yes. That big thing. Didn't have the airplane. Couldn't tell anything about it. Didn't have black boxes. Couldn't tell anything about it. Nope. So... We don't know for sure exactly what happened. you are scuba divers. Yeah, no, that's pretty far. That's way too deep. You can't scuba dive that. <laughs> if anybody if has... you have a submarine. Right. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't. Nope. There's too many people that have private submarines that aren't good. No, I didn't say don't bad submarine. Yeah, don't. No, no, they think they have great submarines. That's the problem. Yeah, and then we have the issue that we had last June. And if we covered crafts like that, we could probably cover such a thing. I'm not going to. <laughs> That's a different podcast. That's how you end up on a different podcast. Just don't. Just don't. Okay. I don't, I don't I, know if like are, so. Some of you should tell us if they actually have any like train wreck podcasts mm-hmm. or boat crash mm-hmm. podcasts or boat sinks. I guess. Right. We're also talking about an accident that was almost seventy years ago, and that means the airplane is deep in the silt. Yes. You'll never find it. All right, friendos. Uh, I know this is a pretty short episode. We do appreciate it. We do have other things to do. It is Christmas Eve. So. Yes. Uh, so we're going to do a short post episode, and then these two need to head out because they got stuff to do. I get to go home and be catatonic for the rest of the day. <laughs> so that's nice. Thank you for so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Remember, if you would like to see what's on our Patreon, feel free to do so. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. So much content. I I want to apologize to our flight crew patrons because this time of year is always really hard to do a Zoom call because we mm-hmm. got so much stuff going on. Uh, but we will do one in this month, currently, January, that this comes out. Yes. And if you would like to do that, if you'd like to meet us, it's uh, one of the perks of our flight crew tier. Yes. And you can try it out and see see if you like it. And if you hate it, you can definitely just be like, nah. Peace. Peace. And that's okay. And that's okay. I'm not offended. One of these days, we actually will do like real in-person planned meetups with multiple people. Yes. We like to do <laughs> that eventually. Yes. One of these days. It will happen. I promise. Right now, there's way too much going on. What with wedding. Time off is non-existent, basically, for the next year. So, but... We will plan something. It will happen. Okay. Uh, We hope you have a safe and healthy new year. And rest your week. And we'll catch you all next week. Keep Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.